You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. We're speaking with Peter S. Spiegel. He is the author of The Last Unicorn and the Folk of the Air. Thank you for speaking with me, Peter. It's a pleasure. I have a great loyalty to KUSP, even though I haven't lived in Santa Cruz for really quite a while now. But three of my children, or all three of them, as a matter of fact, still do. And I served as a kind of backup DJ in KUSP at one point long ago. So old loyalties die hard. Peter, one of the things that really distinguishes your fantasy from anything else that gets that label is the the genial the combination of a genial sense of of humor and, and the way it seems to so realistic taking place in our world or worlds just next door. Well, that's the trick, you know. That's the as someone was saying this evening, fantasy occurs really in the corner of the eye. And I've always tried, if you will, to to lull the reader into a kind of assurance that he or she knows this world, that it's comforting, it's comfortable, I know where I'm going here, and then to suddenly lead them on a different path or one that doubles back, or just slip up quietly and sandbag them on the top of the head. The idea is um, first... You lure them in. Then you surprise them in one way or another. And the way to do that quite often is to surprise yourself. I don't always know how the story is going to work out. And sometimes I've been very surprised, but realized this is it. This is the way it has to be. And I didn't know that when I set out. The piece you read tonight was a, a really beautiful essay to uh, a, a writer about a writer. I, actually, I have to admit, confess, I'd never heard of before. Could you talk a little bit about writing nonfiction? The difference for you, where that comes from? Is there a difference between where that comes from and where the fantasy comes from? Well, I had to learn to write nonfiction when I was twenty-four. Found myself with an instant family, and needed to make myself into a professional writer. I had a lot of help, you know, from wonderful editors who were very patient with me. And I learned how to organize my thoughts, which is not something I can do unless I'm doing it professionally. Otherwise, I'm as scattered as anybody else. When a magazine editor tells you you've got, you can write about anything you like, only you've got 3,000 words to do it in. You find out in a hurry what three, how much space 3,000 words takes up and you learn to cut out the stuff that doesn't have to be there. But I have a, I can't say that the nonfiction comes from a different place or a different side of my brain than fantasy. It's all language. It's all somehow story. Of course it's story. You still have to hold your reader in any case. And you're shaping things when you write, as you very rarely get to do in life. You're shaping events, you're shaping dialogue, even when it's real, even when it comes from your own life. And that's the, I, I did so much of this at one point that 
became the only person I know who was really editing his own dreams. For the dream that wasn't going the way I liked it, a lot of the time I could go back and start over from this point and rewrite. Magazine work taught me more than anything how to rewrite and how to cut and how to, as they say, kill your darlings, the passage that's just beautiful but doesn't belong here or that you can do without. And, of course, that's, there's no difference. In that sense, you're doing the same thing writing fiction. You have to. What you said just made me realize the importance of ed editing yourself as a writer. You have to be <laughs> learn to be ruthless. And I'm a good editor for me, but I'm very glad to have a, a business manager who has a gift for putting his finger on the part of the story I had an uneasy feeling about and was hoping nobody would notice. That's invaluable in an editor, a business manager, or anybody else. But I remember writing the libretto for an opera some 15 years back, which was a wonderful experience. The composer and I are still friends, and the opera's recently been revived in Milwaukee. But I'd never written the libretto. And when David Carlson, the composer, was explaining it to me, he said, when you were in high school, junior high, didn't you write a whole lot of really sloppy, lush, romantic poetry by the yard? And I said, by the yard. David said, and then you talked yourself out of it. You trained yourself you know, to write in a much leaner fashion, you know, cut all that, all, all that over-ornamented 19th century romantic stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, of course I did. I trained myself. You do it over the years. Right, David said, well, see if you can remember how you used to do it. <laughs> because that's what a libretto is. That's what opera is. Opera is big purple crayons. These people were, never mind the nuance, never mind subtlety. If these people were subtle, they wouldn't be in an opera. And it was very good training, and David was absolutely right. And it, it's all grist. It's all stuff you never stop learning. Just depends on what you're doing with it at the time. Could you tell me what you're working on now? Altogether too many things. I'm gonna go home and work on a short story which I'm trying to get done by the end of the month. And there's another story that I'm partway through with, a very different one. And I've gotta get that one done in a hurry. I owe another story for a Sherlock Holmes pastiche. This will be Story, I think I'll steal a march and the other people in the anthology because this is a very young Holmes in America losing his virginity. Nobody, I, I think that's mine. I think I got that market cornered. And there's a, a story for an online a collection, online magazine, and there's a novel that I have to go through one more time, make one more serious pass through it before it's published. And... It's like George Burns' line I've been quoting a lot lately where he just said, I can't die, I'm booked. You know, it, it strikes me that you've been through like three or four revolutions and blossomings of the fantasy genre. You live long enough, everything comes around. I'm fascinated by the fact that the stuff I used to read with a flashlight under the blankets like everybody else is now stuff you can get a doctorate in. Well, I knew as um, what my parents gently, gently and politely referred, considered crap. It's now now it's popular culture. 
Now, I've lived into the age where all the stuff that us kids, you know, used to play with, swap back and forth, hide from our parents, it's all popular culture. And, you know, I can't always give you the dates on how things change. I've seen, been through, I think, three folk music waves, starting with my childhood. Um, if you live long enough, everything comes back. Like that old song, everything old is new again. It is the way we are. Um, I've seen Berkeley, which I love dearly, through any number of changes on Telegraph Avenue over the years. And I think it's a good thing. Um, even in spite of the politicians, I think change is a good thing, even though I often hate it. I have a, a, a small, not sticker or even wall hanging, just a scrap of printed paper that a friend, a friend gave me a long time back. It just says on it, I am safe. It's only change. We've been speaking with Peter Beagle. He's the author of The Last Unicorn. And Peter, what's the name of your forthcoming book? It's called Summer Long. And it's the only book I've written um, that takes place in the Seattle area where I used to live. I can never write about a place while I'm there. It often takes years. It's a fantasy, but it's contemporary, very much so. And I think it's good, but after you rewrite a thing a fair number of times, it gets so you can't tell. I think it'll be okay. We'll look forward to summer long. Thank you for speaking with me, Peter. You're very welcome. Thanks for asking me, and all my best to KUSP for old times. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>